Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. For more great program content just like this, hop on over to spiritfilledmedia.org. That's spiritfilledmedia.org. Welcome to the beauty of our Catholic heritage. Our host is Father Jacob Shea, a Norbertine father of St. Michael's Abbey in Orange County, California. Father Shea has a great love for our church's heritage. The Beauty of Our Catholic Heritage with Father Jacob Shea. Welcome back to The Beauty of Our Catholic Heritage. I'm Father Jacob, and today we will meditate upon the beauty of the Eucharist. Let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, let's speak about the Eucharist and the connection of the Eucharist, especially to Easter. In Easter, we have in the chants of the Church this phrase, Atsimis, and what that means is the unleavened bread, and then it says, Sinceritatis et Veritatis, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, in other words, let's not be part of the yeast of iniquity and that corruption that spreads. And so here, remember that yeast in the New Testament, according to our Lord, can be good and bad, right? We don't want to have the leaven of the Pharisees, that is, hypocrisy, and that's something which is associated with the spread of evil. And so, the spread of evil is likened to the spread of yeast. It just kind of goes everywhere throughout the bread, right? And so, here, um, the yeast is seen as something which is something that spreads, um, kind of, you can't control it, you don't know how it happens, it just kind of goes. And so evil is likened to that. On the other hand, yeast is also looked at as good, right, when it spreads in the way that is according to God. And so we want to also be like yeast in the loaf that spreads into the entire world, right? So here we see that um, yeast in the chants here is associated with the yeast of sin and wickedness. So in other words, we don't want the yeast of evil, but we want the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And here, this is the unleavened bread of the Eucharist, which is pure. There's no yeast in it at all. And so, especially with the Eucharist, we have the flesh of our Lord, and it is the pure flesh of our Lord that is glorified. And so, always when we receive our Lord's flesh in this life, We won't have the Eucharist in the next. It's kind of sad a little bit, but we will have something better. But according to our own understanding, uh, we will not, of course, receive the Eucharist in heaven. We'll have something better, which is the beatific vision. But in this life, whenever we receive Holy Communion, we receive the flesh of our Lord 
as he is right now. And as he is right now, he is in this universe, right? He ascended into the most beautiful place of this universe, and he ascended with his glorified body. So when we receive the Eucharist, we receive his glorified flesh. It's the flesh that cannot corrupt. It's a flesh that can move anywhere it wants to. It is so bright. It is so perfect, right? This is the flesh of Christ. And so when we receive the Eucharist, it's always Easter. When we receive the Eucharist, we are always having the victory of our Lord's resurrection over death. And so the Eucharist is a great consolation for us. Usually when we think about the Eucharist, we just have this notion in our head that we're receiving the flesh of Christ. Hopefully at least that, right? Because that's a true doctrine. A lot of people, I cannot believe the statistic, you probably heard it, that how many people do not believe in the true presence of our Lord in the Eucharist. And the number they say is like 70, 80 percent, you know, and, you know, especially with um, everything happening in the world today where people are not going to church uh, because of the circumstances here, you think like how many more people are not really understanding that our Lord is really there in the Eucharist. That's not bread anymore. It is his true flesh. And so the percentage of people that believe in the Eucharist is just astounding now. I I just can't even understand what the number would be now after all that we've gone through. And so we really have to pray for a great Eucharistic devotion. We have to pray that now more than ever, we need the Eucharist. And so here, Every time that we receive the Eucharist, we have to remember, of course, yes, at least, yes, it is his flesh. But it is the flesh of Christ as he is right now. And that is his glorified, resurrected flesh. That his glorified, resurrected flesh is actually inside our bodies when we receive him. And here, this is a great consolation that God wants to be so close to us, that he wants even to be inside of us. And a lot of people think that, you know, this is weird, this is kind of disgusting, how can we eat God, you know, how can we actually eat flesh? And here, we have to remember that, you know, Catholics are not cannibals, (laughs) that when we consume the flesh of Christ, we don't digest it. (laughs) This is very important, right? We don't digest it. So, for example, let's take something easier to understand. If you are eating a, a burger, you're changing that burger into yourself. You're getting the nutrients out of the burger and you're making that part of your body. That's what our digestive system does. And so what happens is, you know, our digestive system, you know, works with all the fluids, etc. First on the, it's called the properties of the bread and kind of the qualities of the bread. So, you know, the bread is brown, the bread is, you know, um, or the meat is salty, etc. And so your body acts on all those properties first, and then it goes to what's deeper than the properties, namely the substance of the bread and the substance of the flesh or that you're eating, right? The cow, right? And so here, your body first acts on the properties of the burger, then it goes deeper into the burger, that is the substance of the burger. Then it changes that substance into you, because it gets all the nutrients out. This is really important because why did God create eating, right? Why did he want us to eat? This is a really important thing because when you eat something, if you think about it, you change, you change that thing into you, right? You change that thing into you. And so here, 
when God wants us to consume him, right? And this is what our Lord says, that he wants us to eat his flesh. This is in the chapter 6 of St. John. Here, we're not changing Jesus into ourselves. We're not digesting Jesus, but it's really the other way around. We're being changed into God by his being inside of us. And so this is the glory of the Eucharist that we are not digesting God, but really we are changing into God. We are becoming more God-like. And here, when you think about the actual philosophy about the Eucharist, why Catholics are not cannibals, it's because cannibals will actually digest human flesh, right? They change that human flesh into their own body and they take nutrients out of that flesh. However, when you look at the actual theology of the Eucharist, what's happening is that, of course, there are the accidents or the properties. Accidents is the philosophical term, but the properties of the Eucharist are the white, the shape of the host, right? But we know that underneath those properties that we see and that we taste, even the taste of it is a property. Underneath that is not the substance of bread anymore. Underneath that is the substance of Christ's flesh. And so when we eat the Eucharist, right, our body will digest the properties or the externals But we know from sacramental theology that when the properties are gone, right, those are the signs of what it is. That's what a sacrament is. So when the sign is gone, right, so this is the white, this is the bread. Remember, the bread is the sign of the nourishment. So here, when the properties are gone, then our Lord ceases to be. That's the substance of his flesh is gone. That's why we say that, you know, when you receive the Holy Eucharist, you know, our Lord is with you for like maybe 10 to 15 minutes, right? Why is that? Is because your digestive system is acting upon the properties. But as soon as the properties are gone, then our Lord is gone, right? And so this is also why, for example, if you dissolve the host just in water, it ceases to look like bread, right? And it's dissolved, then our Lord is gone. And so here, for example, if you are trying to reverently dispose of the Eucharist because something happened, you know, the way that you do that is the properties of the Eucharist have to be dissolved. And when it's dissolved, then the substance of our Lord's flesh is gone because there's no more sacrament. As soon as there's no more properties, there's no more sacrament. And so that's what happens when we receive the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, our body dissolves the properties of the Eucharist, but what's underneath then, right, the substance of Christ's flesh, then it's gone, right? That's why our Lord is not digested by us. It never gets, our digestive system never gets to that point. And so we really never change the substance of Christ's flesh into our very own bodies, And so we're not cannibals, (laughs) in other words. However, what comes as a result of that, here we have the accidents being dissolved when we have our Lord within us. But as soon as the accidents are dissolved, then the substance is gone. So Christ is gone from us. But as a happy result, he can really be with us as long as the properties have not been 
dissolved being with us for 10 to 15 minutes and then that's why we should make a thanksgiving after mass it's so important to do that because our lord is still with us the properties of the eucharist or the accidents in philosophical terminology the properties are not dissolved yet so our lord is still with us and so we have to make a proper thanksgiving the god of the universe is now contained in us this is one of the most beautiful realities is that the universe which cannot contain the creator is now as it were contained in our body this is how much god loves us that he would actually be contained by us he wants to be totally embraced by us so this is um, the glory of the eucharist um, that we receive the resurrected body of our lord we received his very resurrected flesh and his resurrected blood, his glorified flesh, and his glorified blood. So when people say that, you know, Catholics, you know, how come you're not cannibals? Or how are we not, you know, eating the flesh of our Lord like cannibals eat flesh of human beings? When we think of that, you know, if we use this explanation and we just really see that there's no digestion of Christ's substance, and that means that it's not changed into us but merely that our body is just acting upon the properties of the host, then all that's happening is that our Lord is truly present within us. His substance is inside of our uh, body. It's really fantastic. And here we see that this is, if you think about how you want to be as close to somebody as you can be, right? Can you think of any other way that you could show the closeness of God coming to a human being? For centuries, we have seen people desiring that God or some kind of being that's higher come to man and there be some kind of union or maybe in some other um, false religions you know they don't even acknowledge that there could be any union between god and man but the amazing thing is the truth of it is in the true religion that what god has done is that he has dreamed up you can say he has found the closest way that he can be to us that is on this earth and that way is for us to consume him in the most blessed sacrament of the altar and to be within us um, in this way that he is our true nourishment by his presence and not that he is turned into us but we become godlike because he is with us and so the ways that god has united himself to man nothing can ever surpass this than the glory of god's union to us in the most blessed sacrament of the altar and so one priest that i know one of his favorite meditations and one of the topics that he really loves to preach about is the beautiful holy communions of our lady and so here this is a fruitful, fruitful topic of conversation and a topic of meditation because here you have Our Lady who gave birth to our Lord and here, of course, she was the mother of God. She is the mother of God and she had God within her womb and yet 
there's something about the Eucharist that even here, it's even surpassing the fact that she bore our Lord in her womb. When you carry, if uh, you're a pregnant mother, when you carry your child in your womb, you know, I'm, of course, you know, I'm a priest, so I don't know what that exactly feels like. But here, if you are a mother, you know, you feel that immense connection with the child in your womb. You are completely emotionally connected. You're physically connected. You're with your child. And then, of course, when you give birth to your child here, then, of course, you embrace your child, you kiss your child. These are the forms of union that we have with our children. And then, of course, we have that higher spiritual union when we're of the same mind about the faith, when we really share the same wants uh, and desires, namely to be great saints for Holy Mother Church and to love Christ with our whole hearts and to love Our Lady as our mother. And so when we share that, then we really feel one with our children. And with Our Lady, of course, she felt very one with our Lord, bearing him in his womb. And yet, when she received the Eucharist, in, in a way, this was something that she could not even, I guess you could say, begin to compare that experience with carrying our Lord in her womb. In a way, it kind of even surpasses it. When she received our Lord from the hands of St. John, into her body. This was a union with our Lord that in a way cannot even um, be described in comparison with when she was pregnant with our Lord. And so the closeness of God to us in the Eucharist is one, of course, that we take for granted, but one that we can't even begin to imagine and describe that the creator of the universe would want to be so, so, so close to us that he would be our very nourishment and that he would be there in his physical presence with us. And so here, when we think of the Eucharist, especially during the Easter season, we have to remember that our Easter Eucharists are so powerful. They're even more powerful than our Lenten Eucharists. And so when we receive the Eucharist in strong seasons of the church. And of course, the strongest one is the Easter season. We have all of these graces being unlocked. And the Eucharist is a really a key to our advancement in the spiritual life. And if you think of all the saints who progressed in the spiritual life, St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and they definitely needed mental prayer and silent prayer before God. But when were all those graces unlocked and really brought to fruition and even fed, right? Where is mental prayer really fed except and the most blessed sacrament of the altar. And so the key to unlocking all of the growth in spiritual life, all of our growth in our spiritual life, is the reception of Holy Communion. And so our reception of Holy Communion, especially in Easter, is going to be so powerful. And we have to really trust in the power of the Eucharist when we receive it, especially during the Easter season, that everything can 
be melted away, that no difficulty or no suffering can get in our way at all when we receive our Easter Eucharist. And here, when God is with us in those precious moments after the reception, after the reception of Holy Communion, when He's with us and when we're enjoying His presence in the Easter season, these are the moments which are so fruitful in our spiritual life that can transform us beyond anything that we could have ever expected. And so, especially during the Easter season, it's a good idea to go to Mass and to really assist at Mass and to receive our Lord in the Most Blessed Sacrament of the Altar as frequently as we are disposed and as our devotion prompts us to, and never to take our beautiful Easter Eucharist for granted. Here, again, to trust in the power of the Eucharist is vital for us. St. Claude said that we never ask enough during Mass. This is very important for us to realize that we never ever ask enough and we never ask well enough during Mass. We could be asking everything and everything could have could be given to us, but we never ask enough during the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And likewise, we can also say when we receive our Lord into our very bodies and He is so desire. He is so desirous of us being with him. We never ask enough in those times when he's with us. You know, when we're with somebody, like for example, somebody very powerful, we're going to ask, you know, for something. Like, or if you're a child with your parent uh, or a child with his parent, the child's going to ask for things when he or she is in the presence of the parent. And so, similarly, when we are with our God in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, especially when we are receiving him, when he's very much, when he's concretely in our body. This is the time when we can ask everything from him and hold nothing back. So in the reception of the Eucharist, let us never hesitate in asking everything from our Lord and asking him to guide us, to ask him for the right things to guide us to ask him for everything that he wants us to ask for, never to doubt what he can give us, never to doubt the power of his love for us, which is expressed most perfectly in this life sacramentally in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. And so in the Easter Eucharist, therefore, let us really go to it with great faith, and with great reverence. In this age, we need to restore the acknowledgement of God's love for us. How many people in this world, again, do not believe in the resurrection? How many people in this world do not believe in the Eucharist and its power? And what can we do in order that the Eucharist be properly and duly adored? And this is, again, why you see such reverence for the Eucharist in every single way possible. During Holy Week, I was listening to the beautiful chants and music and some of the beautiful Holy Week liturgies of the Institute of Christ the King. And everything that they do for Holy Thursday, you know, the altar of repose and the music that they choose the vestments that they choose everything that we have produced as the human race 
right, has been all for the honor of the Eucharist. All the most precious gold and jewels have been to adorn chalices and tabernacles. The most precious marble have been to make the most beautiful churches to house our Lord. Everything that we have done in the history of the world has been for the Eucharist. And anything other that has been beautiful in this world has been influenced by that art. And so the center of this world and the center of history truly, truly is the Eucharist. And it's amazing that so many people do not know what it is. And so we really have to make sure that we become apostles of the Eucharist and we make the Eucharist known throughout the entire world. If you think about it, our days are numbered. How many more Eucharists do we have left? How many more times will we receive our Lord in this way? And in the history of the world, it's all numbered. It's not going to last forever. And so we have these days which are left and here we have to see what we can do in order to most honor the Eucharist. How will we speak about the Eucharist to our families? How will we tell of the Eucharist to people who have never heard of the Eucharist before? And so here, let us convince others of the infinite love that God has for us and for them. Let us convince them that God wants to be so close to them, that he wants to be inside of them, that he wants them to be nourished by him in his physical presence. And that here, when we think of how close God wants to be to us, we can never imagine anything more than the closeness that he is in the Blessed Sacrament to us. All honor and glory be to the most blessed sacrament of the altar. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to The Beauty of Our Catholic Heritage with Father Jacob Shea. If this program has been a blessing to you, please encourage others to listen as well. For more information, visit spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. May God be with you this day and always. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.